Hello and welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode we're going to be discussing the framing device story and the Last Wish collection, The Voice of Reason. Uh, so, uh, Andrei Sapkowski loves framing devices and that will be clear as we go through the saga. Um, and uh, this is his first time really experimenting with it. Um, and I, I think it's really well done. We got Geralt recovering from his wounds uh, suffered at the hands of Striga in the Weishman Witcher short story. And uh, he's in the Temple of Melitile in Elander. Uh, and uh, Neneki, who um, is this high priestess of this fertility goddess, is taking care of him. And what's great about this is not only do we get to hear girl mull over things in between short stories and Sapkowski uses this to introduce the main themes and ideas of the story that is about to come and uh talk about it and look at it but also you have Neneki uh who is a motherly figure but she refuses uh for Geralt to call her mother she's like I'm not your mother I'm not your 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 confidant but yet she is she is the titular voice of reason uh and it's a glorious contradiction uh and uh what what's great about it she's not an ordinary priest she's the she's a high priestess to her fertility goddess and because of that like she you know she tells one of her priests to go sleep with Geralt uh, uh, you know, Yola. And it's so it's just this weird dichotomy where she's not an ordinary priest, he's not an ordinary witcher. And so you got these two people who, uh, one is significantly more experienced than the other, or at least emotionally more experienced than the other. And the other one just is a stubborn ass sometimes because that's Geralt's for you and uh she's having to get him to wake the fuck up and acknowledge his faults acknowledge his problems and work through it and the irony here is that he only takes some of her advice like she you know she she she, she tells him not to participate in the duel so what does he do he goes and participates in the duel <laughs> you know um he the the entire dichotomy here is Geralt is trying to listen, and sometimes he does legitimately listen to what she has to say. Uh, you know, uh, in particular, uh, you know, uh, that 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 she she doesn't want to be like in the middleman between him and Yennefer, even though they both show up here for various different reasons. Geralt usually to visit Neneki or heal, and Yennefer because she's still looking for a cure for her infertility. Uh, but they always show up here and look for signs of each other. And sometimes they're there at the same time, but never go talk to each other. And so, uh, we, you know, Neneki doesn't want to be in between them. And, but yet she ends up playing, like, as the middleman between them. And she's like, you know, just go and talk to them. You know, go, go talk to her. You know, say something for God's sake. Uh, and, you know, there, there's... There's this wonderful dichotomy in this story of Geralt coming to terms with everything he did, um, you know, from his wonderful, wonderful monologue uh, to Yola, 
Uh, she took a vow of silence, and so it's glorious. She doesn't ask a single question, because she can't, but nor is it ever described in prose whether she's asking questions with, you know, hinting at it with either, you know, movements or eye contact. None. Instead, it's an entire chapter of pure dialogue, and it's essentially Geralt talking to himself. He's not talking to Yola. Yola is just the vessel from which he can express his emotions, because he knows she can't speak to it, so he's going to sort of, you know, let it all out, basically. And so every question that he says, oh yes, what about this? It's really him asking those questions, those inner things. And we get some hints about his life of how, you know, he's Geralt of Nowhere. The uh, of Rivia thing was something that was created, you know, you know, with Vesemir in mind that he, you know, he, that he fakes his own accent. And, uh, you know, Geralt wasn't even his original choice of a name. Uh, and uh, we, we see that, you know, his first encounter with a monster was actually a man who, uh, a brigand, sort of a bandit, who was attempting to rape this very young girl. And he went to save this girl and you know, deal with this monster, you know, it's t uh, time you met a real man, and I told him the same. Uh, and uh, he, uh, and it shows the dichotomy of Geralt that he has become such a cynic now. Uh, you know, he's a staunch atheist, he only believes what he can see, which we saw evidence of in previous short stories, uh, but especially here, like, he, you know, he, He's completely naive when he was younger, and he wanted to be the young knight errant, even though Vesemir told him not to be. He wanted to be, and he expected to be praised and told he's a good person, but instead, you know, he got a man who ran ran away from his own daughter with the killers, uh, you know, with, with his supposed attackers or supposed killers, and the uh, the the daughter threw up on him. You know, th this is a world in which knights, you know, true knights, people who are, uh, take a vow of doing good and true justice, don't get celebrated. No one cares. Um, it's indicative of the world and who Geralt wants to be and who he was and who he is currently. Which then, you know, doubles into the Talus and Folic situation because they're part of a Grand Knight Order, the Order of the White Rose. But this Order of Knights is anything but, you know, a clean, squeaky clean Knight Order. Um, you know, there, there are a bunch of nobles, effectively, who bought their way into some sort of prestigious position in an organization. Uh, and it, they, they, they don't even act remotely like knights. They're bigoted, they're assholes. They, they hide behind tradition and hide behind rules to basically avoid uh, getting repercussions for their own actions. Uh, they, they hide behind a wall of privilege, effectively, to just go, eh, it doesn't matter. Uh, and they're not well respected. Neneki doesn't even like them, you know, when, when Talos drops his glove and challenges Geralt to a duel, she's like, son, you dropped something. <laughs> it, 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 it's just this, no one really cares about the knights. And if anybody tried to act like a knight in this world, they wouldn't receive any praise or acknowledgement for it. 
this will be explored later in The Bounce of Reason, uh, as well as uh, an encounter with some uh, particularly interesting knight errants in some of the later books when Geralt journeys to a country known as Tussaud. Uh, and so this entire idea of putting Geralt next to a knight, and what does knighthood mean in this world, and what does knighthood mean for Geralt? Because he is a witcher, he is a monster hunter, and the classic symbol of a knight is the knight who goes and saves the princess from the evil dragon, who slays monsters to save people effectively. Isn't that what Geralt is? He's a witcher, but in the classic idea of a knight, he's a knight. Uh, but he's a dark twist on that knight. Each each examination of a knight we will see, both in here and in later books, everything is a twist on the classic knight in shiny armor concept. I mean, even Geralt is himself, as I was just saying. You know, there is... This world isn't great. It is kind of shitty. Uh, and maybe that leads to the fact that there are no true knights in this world, and maybe witchers, these perceived mutants, uh, motionless killing machines as they are perceived by the general public, are the knights of this world. And ain't that kind of shitty. I like how, uh, in, in like, he's reading a history book when Dandelion shows up, because Geralt, because Geralt is the kind of person that mulls over everything that happens and thinks about what he's done where he's going, um, he's a very introspective man. Um, he, he's not a mindless killing machine. He's not a badass warrior. He can be those, but there's something better and more interesting underneath. That is just the veneer he puts up. So, of course, he's reading, you know, uh, a, a history book and is, you know, and even talks about the Dandelion that he's running out of work. That... The world is modernizing, and in that modernity, the uh, need for knight errants effectively are going away. That the fairy tale world is disappearing in favor of the technological and industrial world. That um, anything, you know, maybe it, it, it's it's a situation of environmentalism that uh, we are slowly driving away the natural creatures of this world. Um, or perhaps we have uh, controlled enough of the population that uh, there there is no need for a witcher anymore. Or maybe humans and the other the other races have learned to live in tandem with the natural creatures and monsters, such as the the uh, bridge with the troll underneath it, who repairs the bridge, and so there's no reason to get rid of the troll, because it's cheaper just to pay his toll across the bridge than it is to pay for the actual reconstruction of the bridge. So, like, yeah, th there's this dichotomy of the world is changing, the world is leaving Geralt and his kind behind, uh, and that they're going to have to change with this world, uh, or be swallowed up in it. Uh, and that you know, uh, the li life ahead is not going to be easy. It wasn't easy to begin with, but it's going to start getting really hard and much harder than it was. And uh, I like the ending of this short story as well, that, you know, uh, he talked about with Yola that um, the child of surprise that he has, you know, um, is of age. And we, we saw in A Question of Price that he deduced that Pavetta was pregnant before he called the law a surprise. So he always knew there was going to be a child involved with it, but uh, he did it out of 
you know, this veneer of being a witcher. He did it as a performance, effectively. And so he has no intention of ever going and retrieving this child, regardless of whoever this child grows up to be. He has no interest. And so when Yola uh, has her premonition about him and sees death and blood and misery, you know, before him, Geralt is afraid you know, he doesn't want to hear this premonition. He spends the entire, you know, framing device refusing for uh, Yola to do the premonition on him, do the vision, because he doesn't want to know. He doesn't look back. And this is important for later because death does dog at his footsteps. And someday he's going to have to look back and acknowledge this, that he can't keep going forward the way he is. Much like the Witcher lifestyle is dying out, he himself is dying out and he needs to sit down and acknowledge that he has to change for the future to even remotely uh, exist for him and i love how he just rides off after that he just gets on his horse leaves you know uh, after the premonition he did not want to know and he refuses to know as it is we saw him take some of the advice of the neki but then reject almost half of it uh if not more and so with here, when, you know, when he has his future foretold to him, he's like, nope, it's a complete inversion of the hero who, you know, almost dies and finally accepts their destiny. Girl's like, no, that's not who I am. That's not my life. This is not something I asked for. Get the hell out. Uh, and of course, that's a mistake on his behalf because Geralt is a stubborn man who makes very, very, very costly mistakes, very human mistakes. As Nanaki says, you're not human, yet you keep pretending you are, and you make the same mistakes they all do. And that is one of the ultimate flaws of Geralt as a character. Uh, it's a beautiful framing device, and uh, uh, it weaves in and out of the short stories very well. Uh, the next short story collection in The Sword of Destiny does not have a framing device, um, uh, but some of the future... Um, books in the saga will, uh, in particular. I think I've mentioned in The Edge of the World when I was talking about how I would adapt uh, the the first season that I would take the framing device of Lady of the Lake, which is Siri narrating everything, and make that the framing device for the entire series. Um, definitely, that's what I would have done. But anyway, that, that that's neither here than there. Framing devices and the idea of inherent bias and preconceptions and perceptions of history and revisionist history is a big part of this saga and so it's interesting to see him already playing with the framing devices here in the short stories even if this was just added to make the collection more interesting than just a disparate amount of stories sort of destiny doesn't really need a framing device because all the short stories are leading to a very particular area they all have a general theme in mind uh, legacy and so forth that we will get into when we get into it. Uh, but yeah, Voice of Reason very strong in its own right and honestly one of my favorite quote-unquote short stories even though it's not officially one of the short stories. It's just a framing device but it's really good at giving insight into who Geralt not only is when he's not out doing something but also how goddamn stubborn he can be. Um, the next episode, we will be discussing a short story that is not in either of these collections. Uh, The Road with No Return, uh, is a short story that has no official English translation, but you can find fan translations online. 
uh, or you can uh, get other translations in different languages. It's just never been translated to English. So uh, I have to read fan translations. We're going to be uh, going to that one next, and then it will be on to Sword of Destiny. But anyway, uh, see you next time. Bye.